Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. In particular, I'd like to focus on verses 20 and 21. Let's go ahead and read them again. Hebrews 13 and verse 20 and verse 21. that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The prayer of the writer of the Hebrews. We don't know who he is. Some people say perhaps it was Paul the Apostle. This prayer is recorded for us. It's not the only such uh, prayer. In several other passages, we have the prayers of the writer, whoever he may be, Paul or otherwise, Paul's letters, other letters as well. We have prayers recorded. We have things that Jesus prayed as well that are recorded for us. Now, one of the things that we need to keep in mind, the Bible says in Romans 8.26 that we do not know what we should pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. The Spirit helps us. The Spirit guides us. Now that guidance is in our hearts. It is internal. But I think it's also true that that guidance is through God's Word. That as we see the writer of Hebrews, as we see others in the Bible praying, it helps us to know what we should be praying for. And one of the things to remember is that the word should is appropriate because we should be praying. We should be uh, uh, praying. We should be praying one uh, for another. What did Samuel say? 1 Samuel 12:23 God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. And Paul says in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 3 I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of you in my prayers night and day. It's interesting to think of what that verse says. Paul says, again, 2 Timothy 1 and verse 3, he says, I have a pure conscience. And he says immediately after that, that I do not cease to pray for you night and day. If we don't pray for each other, continually, then we shouldn't have a pure conscience. 
because it's our responsibility, because it's our duty, because we are commanded to pray for one another. Now, in saying this, I should also, also draw your attention to the fact that prayer is not just one for another, but prayer focuses, first of all, on the Lord, on His name, and on His works. What do we see in verses 20 and 21? The writer does not say, I am praying that the Lord make you perfect in every good work to do his will. That's not where he starts. He gets there. But he starts by saying, the God of peace, who brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. So first of all, the focus is on the Lord. And then, and then the focus is on the requests for uh, others and indeed for ourselves as well. What does he say at the outset of his prayer? How does he speak of the Lord? He speaks of the Lord as the God of peace. The God of uh, peace. Romans chapter 15 and verses 4 and 5, the Bible says that God is the God of patience and consolation. Patience and encouragement. Now, if you look at Romans 15, 4 and 5, right before Paul says he's the God of patience and of comfort, he says... I want you to have patience and comfort. And then he says, the God of patience and comfort. So, it's not a matter of it's not a matter of filling in the blanks. It's not a matter of making sure that he uh, 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 satisfies his word quota. You know, someone has told him, this is what happens, let's say, in schools. The teacher says, it has to be 200 words long. So, we have to stuff it <laughs> uh, so that it will be 200 words uh, long. Um, if you look at Romans chapter 16 and verses 25 through 27, uh, Paul speaks there of the mystery. The mystery of the gospel, that which was not very clearly understood and known previously, but is now made known. And then he says, God all-wise. Now, why is it appropriate in that passage, Romans 16, 25 through 27, why is it appropriate to say that God is all-wise? Because he just mentioned something that people did not understand very clearly, but has now been revealed, but God knew it to begin with. God is the one who is all-wise. Uh, uh, God is the one who is uh, all-wise. Now, what is God? Who is God as far as the unsaved are concerned? To those who do not know, to those who do not uh, believe, God is the judge. 
God is the one who is just. God is the one who is righteous. Psalm 94 and verse 2 says, Lift up yourself, O judge of the earth. And when man fell, what happened? One of the things that happened was judgment came upon him. Not because God is vindictive or cruel, but rather because he is righteous and holy. Righteous and uh, uh, holy. The Bible says that he that believes on the Son has everlasting life. And he that believes not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The Bible tells us of judgment to come upon the earth. This is not the only form that judgment takes. But the Bible tells us that during the time of the tribulation, they will say to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits upon the throne. God is the judge of man. But God is also a God of mercy, a God of uh, grace. Second Samuel chapter 14 and verse 14, the Bible tells us that we must die and we are like water which is spilt on the ground and which cannot be gathered up again. Neither does God respect any person. All right? God in his mercy and grace is not saying, oh, this one, fair-haired and blue-eyed. And so I will apply a different standard to him or to her. God does not respect any person, Second Samuel 14, 14. But the verse doesn't end there. It says, yet he devises means... He devises means so that his banished is not expelled from him. He devises means. He makes a way. He made a way with Adam and Eve. It was not only a matter of judgment upon sin, but also the promise was given of the seed of the woman, the one who would come and who would Crush the head of the serpent. The Bible tells us of the people and of their sin. Exodus chapter 32. Moses was on the mountain. And they weren't supposed to be waiting. And he had already gone up and come down. And he went up again. But this time he took too long. Too long by whose standard? Not by God's standard. Not by Moses' standard, the people somehow felt that he had taken too long. And so what did they decide to do? They decided to worship a golden calf. They decided to worship a a golden calf. Moses came down. And remember, Moses is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that very clearly. And there was judgment, but at the same time, what happened? The Bible tells us 
that Moses prayed for the people, interceded for them. And he asked the Lord to forgive their sin. Otherwise, he said, Lord, blot me out of, out of uh, your uh, book. Another time that the people sinned uh, in Numbers chapter 16. The Bible tells us uh, that the Lord started to smite the people from the edges of the people edge of the crowd, plague was coming upon them, and Moses told Aaron, run quickly and get fire, coals from the altar, and put it in a censer, mabkhara, alright, part of what they did at that time, part of what they did, and run into the midst of the people, so that what? So that the judgment will be turned away, from them, Numbers chapter 16. Ultimately, our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, was the one who turned judgment away from us. Our Moses, the Lord Jesus Christ, was the one who interceded for us. The seed of the woman was the one who crushed the head of the serpent. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him uh, the iniquity of us all. And so it says in Psalm 85 and verse 10 that mercy and truth, mercy and truth are what? are met together. Righteousness and peace have done what? Have kissed each other. What does it say about Melchizedek, who is, of course, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ? It says that he was king of righteousness and also king of peace. And also king Uh, of peace. Uh, The Lord Jesus, uh, the righteous one, uh, is also the prince of, uh, of peace. God appeared in the Old Testament and in his appearances there was a general emphasis upon what? Upon his holiness and righteousness. Mount Sinai, Exodus chapters 19, 20, and the chapters that follow. The appearance of the Lord, we would not say that this appearance emphasized the fact that this was a God of peace. Nevertheless, The Bible tells us that there was a sacrifice in that same chapter, Exodus 20. An altar was built. And so God's grace was part of the picture if there was more emphasis on holiness and righteousness. It is not to the exclusion of grace. Being justified by faith, the Bible says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The God of peace. The God of peace in the sense of salvation, the God of peace as well in the sense that he gives his children peace in the face of trials, 
and tribulations. Here is a book, a letter, the letter to the Hebrews, written to people who face trials and tribulations. If you turn back to chapter 10 and verse 34, the Bible says, You had compassion on me in my bonds, and you took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. You took joyfully the spoiling of your uh, goods. Uh, the Bible uh, tells us that he will keep his children in perfect peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Romans 15 and verse 13, he is the God of hope who fills his children with all joy and peace. All joy and peace uh, in uh, believing. The God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus uh, Christ. I have this uh, little thing that I tend to do. Of course, here in the city, you're not likely to be visiting someone who has a garden, right? <laughs> not very common. Although, do you know what? 50, 60 years ago, Guess what Beirut was called? Someone told me it was called the City of Gardens. That was a long time ago. <laughs> uh, that was a long time ago. Um, here, you're not likely to visit someone who has a garden. All right? When we go to Miyu Miyu and we visit Pastor Pierre, all right, he has a nice little garden outside his house. All right? Somebody else who has a, a garden right outside his house, uh, Pastor Abdullah Khouri in Minyar. Uh, 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 in Minyar. Uh, now, when I go and see a garden, I have this line that I use. I usually ask Pastor Pierre or Pastor Abdullah or whoever it is. I usually ask them, which tree is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? <laughs> which tree is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Now, that just shows that if I were in Adam's place, I would have behaved the same way. All right? That just shows that when, when he ate of the tree, all right, uh, it was not like he was representing me poorly. All right? Uh, this idea that, uh, that you find in the Bible, not in these terms, but you often hear people speak of Adam being our representative. Sometimes people use the word federal. He is our federal head or federal representative. He's the one who represented us, and if we had been there, we would have done the same thing. <laughs> we would have done the same thing. Ah, there's a garden. Where is the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Where's the stuff that I'm not supposed to eat from? <laughs> but... There's actually something better. Somehow this doesn't come as naturally as asking about where's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The, when you visit someone with a garden, something better is to say, 
Where is the tomb of Jesus? Because the Bible tells us that the tomb was where? The tomb was in a garden. Uh, uh, in a garden. Now, of course, you're not going to find in Miu, Miu, or Minyara neither the tree of the knowledge of good and evil nor the tomb of Jesus. But, you know, figuratively speaking, all right, when you think of a garden, all right, isn't it better to think of the tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ? It was in a garden, in a place of greenery and life, in a place of flowers, uh, of beauty, uh, both beauty that we would see with our eye and beauty that we'd smell with our nose. It was a place of peace. A garden is a peaceful place. Mary Magdalene thought that the Lord Jesus was what? She thought that he was a gardener. And of course she was mistaken. But sometimes people like to say that she wasn't very mistaken. Because what does the Lord Jesus want to do? He wants to bring life and fruit uh, uh, to us. The God of peace who brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, The Lord Jesus died the penalty for our sin. Would he remain in death so that we would not know whether the penalty has been paid completely, totally, entirely? No, he would rise from uh, the dead so that we would know that it is done so that we would know that it is uh, finished, so that we would know that the price is paid, there is no part remaining. Of course, he rose not to die again, not to be crucified again, as some people teach. Uh, He rose and he lives uh, forevermore, delivered for our offenses, the Bible says, and raised for our justification. And therefore, the Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. To them who are in Christ Jesus. The God of peace, if you'll allow me to say it, even though it's not in our text, he is also the God of power. The God of power. I read once about a particularly large hydrogen bomb that the Russians, the the USSR, the Soviet Union, built. and, And when they build these weapons, usually what happens is they do something like this. They build two of them, and then they test one of them. They detonate it to make sure that they've built it correctly. Uh, somehow, I think that's I think that's a general idea. When that, when that one explodes, it means that this one, if they need to use it, they kind of know that it's in shape, in good shape. This is 1961. This is an atomic test on one of the islands north of Russia in the Arctic Ocean. This bomb was so big that it broke windows. 900 kilometers away in Norway. All right? Now, what's 900 kilometers away? If you think of Beirut, 900 kilometers away, actually a bit more than that, 
uh, takes you to Istanbul. So imagine a bomb that is so big that if it is set off in Beirut, glass is shattered, windows are broken in Istanbul. That's a lot of energy. That's a lot of power. But somehow, the power that we have is only power of a certain kind. Power to destroy. <laughs> uh, well, we do have power that, uh, that's not power to destroy, but I'm just emphasizing that right now. Because one of the things that we cannot do is we cannot raise someone from the dead. The God of peace, who brought again from the dead, that's power that we don't have. That we uh, don't have. Who brought again from the dead that great shepherd of the sheep. That great shepherd of the sheep. In the Old Testament, uh, the picture of a shepherd is used of uh, the Lord. In the blessing of Jacob, the blessing which he gave to Joseph, uh, Genesis 49, and uh, uh, verse 24, uh, Jacob mentions the mighty God, and he says, from there is the shepherd the stone of Israel. Uh, 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 from there is the shepherd the stone of Israel. Isaiah 40, and verses 10 and 11, the Lord will come with a strong hand. Uh, his work is before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. And he shall gather the lambs with his arm, carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those who are young. And the Lord Jesus came. And the Lord Jesus said, right? This is not just someone saying Old Testament prophecies and trying to put them on the head of someone where they don't belong. The Lord Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for uh, the sheep. Uh, for uh, the sheep, the shepherd who is full of compassion, who cares for uh, uh, the uh, sheep, who supplies every need that the sheep uh, has. And remember how the Lord Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, I lay down my life. And what does it say here? He is the great shepherd of the sheep, and then it speaks of the blood of the everlasting covenant. Now, in the Old Testament, it was common, not just in the giving of the law, it was common. Let's say that Sister Vera and I reached some kind of solemn agreement. Not just anything, you know, not just anything, some kind of important matter. So, this matter that we have agreed on, it is now a covenant between us. Ahed. And so, what would people often do when there was a covenant? They'd often sacrifice an animal. And what was the idea? People say one of the ideas. This is a general idea with regard to agreements of, you know, again, of various kinds. The idea was, See how this animal has been slain? If I do not keep my word to you, my promise to you, may God judge me 
even as this animal has been judged. And of course, the idea is that the same responsibility, the same uh, serious nature of what is being, uh, uh, what is being, well, of what what uh, what is being dealt with, it, it applies to you as well. Uh, it applies uh, to you. Now, that's the general idea of making a covenant. Now we could go to the law, and we could see that the giving of the law was accompanied with sacrifices. And when Moses came down from the mountain and he told them what the Lord had said in the book of Exodus. The sacrifice was offered and the people said, we will, we accept this law. And they were sprinkled with the blood of the sacrifice. But with the Lord Jesus, there's something better because that covenant was what? Was temporary. Temporary. Until the time of Christ, this is the blood of what? Of an everlasting covenant. An everlasting uh, covenant. Through that blood, God has become the God of peace to all who believe in him. And not in any way is this temporary. Not in uh, any uh, uh, anyway, uh, in the Old Testament, I think it's Isaiah 54 and uh, verse 10. Uh, what does uh, the Bible say? The Bible uh, says, The mountains will depart, the hills will be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you. Neither shall the covenant of my peace. Be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you, the God of peace to us, and in an everlasting way, through an everlasting covenant sealed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. God, the God of peace, God, the God of power, and God, the God of care, the shepherd, the shepherd. And all of this is who God is to us, confirmed through the blood of Christ, so that people will not be able to say, hey, the haki, hey, the haki. Someone drew my attention, Leslie drew my attention to some item of news a few days ago where someone stood up and made a speech. <laughs> someone in our country <laughs> stood up and made a speech. And she told me, you know, you should read this because this man spoke for a certain time. Uh, when I ended up opening it on the computer... Uh, it ended up being two and a half pages. And she told me, you know, he spoke for some time. But he said nothing. <laughs> he said nothing. <laughs> Haki Fadi. Empty words. God of peace, God of power, the God who is the shepherd, 
the God who cares, it is not empty words, and the proof is the blood of the everlasting covenant. The blood of uh, the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. Now all that is praise to God. Now we have verse 22, and let me try, 21, excuse me, and let me try to mention some things here as quickly as I can. Make you perfect. This is the word that is used for mending. For mending. It is the word that is used when it says uh, that James and John were, uh, uh, were uh, with their father Zebedee, Matthew 4.21, in the ship, mending their nets. It is also used in Greek, uh, this word, make you perfect, it is used for a bone which is broken. And along comes the doctor, and what does he do? In English they say, he sets the bone. He puts it in place. He puts it uh, 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 in, uh, in place. Um, that which is torn, like the net, which needs to be mended. Alright, someone told me, Pastor um, Joseph Musa uh, once was speaking about this. He said that sometimes people don't realize when people go out to fish with a net, every time you use the net, to some extent it is damaged. And, uh, you know, the net isn't made of steel. And, and so, every time you use the net, you should repair it after you use it. It needs to be mended. And there are bones that are broken that need to be what? That need to be fixed. And this is what we see in... This word that uh, uh, that the Lord make you perfect, because there are things about us that are torn, and there are things about us that are broken, and there are things about us that need to be removed, and there are things about us that need to be put in their place. And this is what the Lord wants to do with His children. The Lord wants them to grow. The Lord wants them to be better. The Lord wants them to walk with him day by day. Second Peter chapter 1 says that with your faith you're supposed to add to your faith diligence and virtue and knowledge and temperance and patience and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. And if you have these things, and if they abound, then you will be fruitful in the Lord Jesus Christ. Make you perfect in every good work. In every good work. Alright? Make you perfect. Oh, I'm very good with my students at school. But at home, I'm the devil himself. The Lord wants his children to be perfect in every in every good uh, work, to love the Lord with all our hearts and with all uh, our uh, strength and with all our mind, with all our soul. 
You remember those passages? Is it, it's Ephesians 5 and then 6, and corresponding to it, Colossians 3, where the Bible speaks about relationships, husbands, wives, and then, uh, 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 and then parents and children. You know, again, I could read that and say, you know, husband's life, you love your wives, and wives uh, 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 submit to your husbands. Okay, put a line there. Then we don't have to worry about the parent stuff. No, the parent stuff applies as well. And masters and servants applies as well. And the whole thing applies. The whole thing uh, uh, applies. In every area, we should do what? Do his will. Do that which is good. You know, there are some people who think that God's will is what? Get me some kind of shirt that's very rough. Let me wear the shirt so that the shirt will scratch my skin, scratch my body. And this is God's will. People have all sorts of ideas about what God's will is. Our ideas should come from the Bible. Our ideas should come from uh, the Bible. He has shown you what is good. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. He has shown you that you should do justly and love mercy and walk humbly with your God. He has shown you that you need to love God, that you need to love your neighbor as yourself. He has told you that if you know how to do good and you don't do it, then it is sin. This will happen How? Not with our own power, but with his power. I am the vine, you are the branches, you need to abide in me, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. His grace working in my life. The Bible tells us that the spirit of disobedience worked in our life before we were saved. But now there is a new spirit, and now there is a new work. And the Bible says that by the Spirit of the Lord, what happens as we behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we're changed into the same image, inside out. Not like the Pharisees outside, if that's what they were concerned uh, with working in you that which is well-pleasing in His sight. All right, so many times we're concerned about what people think. And that leads to a certain superficialism, uh, superficiality maybe I should say, uh, leads to externalism, leads to putting on an outward show, working that which is pleasing in His sight. And we are also reminded as we think of that, we're reminded, who, do, who is it that we want to please? Before Enoch was translated, the Bible says that he had this testimony, that he pleased God. That he pleased God. Working with you that which is well-pleasing in his uh, sight. Uh, in his sight, uh, uh, through Christ Jesus, through our relationship with uh, Christ. He is the one who is our example, the one who teaches us what is right, the one who gives us power, the one who uh, motivates us, uh, the one who has uh, gone uh, before, uh, before us. Uh, all 
also we might say that what we do is well-pleasing through Jesus Christ. Our own works, even our good works, they are lacking and imperfect and therefore sinful. It is God's grace that he accepts the works the good works of his children. Of course, we're not talking about works saving. All right, uh, that's not what the Bible teaches. The, in the Bible, it speaks of the iniquity of the holy things in the Old Testament. It says that you should offer a sacrifice because even the holy things that you do have iniquity associated with them in God's sight. And so, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who teaches us and strengthens us and guides us the example to follow, and what we do is accepted because of him and uh, and uh, through him uh, and uh, through him. This is uh, what uh, the Bible teaches us that we should care about, that we should pray for. Of course they were facing trouble. Of course there was persecution. Of course uh, there was uh, uh, opposition. Oh, I pray that you have an easy time. I pray that you not have any difficulties. I pray that you not have any problems. Now, each of us looks to these things that I'm just mentioning and desires them, and we desire them for ourselves, and we desire them for others. But perhaps we should ask ourselves whether the most important thing is to have a smooth and easy time or whether the most important thing to realize is that peace is in God and power is in God and God is the one who is going to care for us and provide what we need and that he wants to make us perfect and he wants us uh, to do his will and he wants us to do what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, and to bring him glory. It's a little bit different. It's easy to think of myself and a, a somewhat selfish and short-sighted approach, mindset, in which I want, I want everything to be easy for me. I want everything to be easy for me. But the Lord wants us to be perfect in every good work, to do his will. He wants us to do what is well-pleasing in his sight, and he wants it all to be through the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he has power, and if he gives peace, and if he is our shepherd, then we have the resources that we need. This is not Pharaoh saying to the people, go ahead and make the brick, but I won't give you the straw. With the Lord working in the believer's heart, these things are not impossible because the Bible says with God, nothing shall be impossible. And no matter what the time, and no matter what the place, and no matter what the challenges and the problems, this is God's word, this is God's prayer, this is God's will. What is my will? What is my desire? Is it my desire to think of what the Lord is 
and what he has done and to follow him and do that which the writer prays for in verse 21. Is that what I want? I think it's clear that that's what the Lord wants. But what do you want and what do I want? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for all your goodness towards us. We thank you because you are the God of peace, the God of power, the shepherd of your people through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Help us, Lord, to know that we need to be mended and reset. We need to be made perfect in every way to do your will, to do that which pleases you through Christ and to glorify him. The one who humbled himself for us, we pray that he would be lifted up in our hearts and through our lives. In his name we pray. Amen.